On today's Question of Faith, does changing a word in the Eucharistic prayer make the Eucharist invalid? Hey everybody, this is Question of Faith. I am Mike Hayes, I'm the Director of Young Adult Ministry in the Diocese of Cleveland. And I'm Father Damian Ferentz, the Vicar for Evangelization. Hi everyone, I'm Brooke Uline, the Communications Manager for the Diocese. Two weeks in a row, Brooke. I know. Becoming a regular. Yeah. Su- super lucky. <laughs> super for, blessed. For super us. blessed. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Great to have you. And so uh, th- this question was a write-in question. I will preserve the person's anonymity and, um, and just say that they were at Mass and they said that the priest had said, uh, it will be shed for you and for all. Instead of, it will be shed for you and for many, which is in the new translation from the most recent translation. They, they changed that word from all to many. And so they wanted to know, well, does that make the Eucharist invalid, that he changed the word? Sort of like, you know, I guess when we heard, you know, back in, uh, you know, not that long ago, we heard that big controversy about baptism, right? When the person said, we, we baptize instead of, instead I, of yeah. I. Yeah. So what do we think? What's, uh, what's the deal with this? So they changed that from all to, from many to all. I think it would depend on the word, because your question was, if you change a word, does it make it invalid? So I think it would depend upon the word. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think it would, I, I would start there. So right, this if you can, didn't say, this is my body, that would be an, yeah. that would, that would be an issue, yeah. yeah. Right, or if you said, this is my leg, instead <laughs> of this is my body, that would probably, that I'm not a liturgist. I'm a philosopher, but it would seem that what you're talking about, yeah, some words are more important than other words, I would think. Correct. And this one, the former translation was many or was all, and now it's changed to many. Um, so I, my guess would be, and again, I'm not a liturgist. We could go to Bishop-elect Woost. It would probably make uh, things illicit but not invalid, the Correct. Eucharist illicit but not invalid. So it's it's interesting, you know, this is the reasoning that I've heard for not changing words in the liturgy, period, right? That, you know, read, you know we, we've, we've worked this out and we mm-hmm. should we should kind of do it is that, you know, we're all supposed to be praying along right. with the priest while he's praying the Eucharistic prayer. And so when they change a word of their own volition, you, you break my prayer. Right. You know, now I'm like, well, wait a minute. And it's not your prayer, Father. It's the church's prayer. It's all of our prayers. So, uh, you know, when you change that, kind of, you know, messes people up a little bit. I'm reading the new letter that Pope Francis just promulgated on June 29th. I actually read it this morning, and as I mentioned to you guys before the show, the printed copies on my desk at the SEM. But th- um, so I just found this on uh, my phone, and this is what uh, the Holy Father says in verse 23, or not verse, Article 23. Let us be clear here: every aspect of the celebration must be carefully tended to. Space, time, gestures, words, objects, vestments, song, music, and every rubric must be observed. Such, such attention would be enough to prevent robbing from the assembly what it is what is owed to it, which mm. is what you just said. Yeah, right. This is not simply what the priest decides, but we're all part of the body of Christ, and we have expectations of how this mass should be celebrated. So, mm. yeah, yeah. The other thing too is I think his intention, right? You know, so let's say let's say a priest intentionally changed, it wasn't just a slip up, like he fell into right, the old right. ways mm-hmm. of being, right? But he said, no, no, I don't want to say many. I want to say all because I think that. 
you know, if you don't say all, that means it's not for everybody, right? Right. Would be the, that's what I would think the intention would be, right? It doesn't mean that. No. You know, it means for, for you and for many more than you, it means that Jesus isn't just talking to his disciples. He's talking to everybody. Right. And it's quoting Jesus. I remember when we had this first conversation uh, when the new Roman Missal came out that it's a translation from the scriptures. So it's quoting scripture directly, just as we used to say, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only Mm. say the word and my soul shall be healed. It became, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so things became more scriptural and more literal in their translations in the new Roman Missal. So there's something that priests deacons, um, and even lay folks can fall into sometimes thinking, well, I know the church says this, but I think this. and that, But then there's a, a lack of docility, a lack of obedience, and then you put yourself in a position where you're making other people cater to you rather than the church herself, right? As a, as a And the, the teaching body of the church and the prayers of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there could be a little bit of hubris that enters in from time to time, it seems sure. to me. Liturgical Ubers. Yeah. But they're all... That's are, a good name for an indie band. Yeah. <laughs> there are also moments within the liturgy, there aren't as many as there used to be, where it's these are similar words. Um, and there is um, there there are possibilities to, to like, at, in the introductory rites of the, uh, oh, sure. the Mass and all. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times, too, in the rubrics, it'll say, in these or similar words, mm-hmm. you know, that you can, you know, the mm-hmm. options with right. the presider, they, yeah. can, they can do what they feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, too, you know, we have to think about this, too, is, you know, the person's worried that this is going to make the Eucharist invalid. So it's not. You know, the, it doesn't make it invalid. It's an illicit practice, which means he shouldn't do it. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean that it makes it invalid. It, yeah. Everything is fine as long as he says – as long as the intention is that I'm, I'm turning this bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, you're, you're generally fine. However, there would be – I mean, I th- this is a – it's an interesting – conversation because it's similar to that baptism. One could say, well, when I was baptizing with the we formula, I intended this, but the intention alone isn't enough. So yes. the words are important, but that's why I think there are particular, and this is where it gets really into the nitty gritty. And you could have a liturgist that would say, no, you can do this, or the, what is the bare minimum? What's the bare requirement? It's similar to when you're working with young adults or teenagers more who will say, well, how far is too far before it's a sin? (laughs) And I would say, that's actually not the question you want to ask. The question is, how do I best love someone? So the question is, okay, what makes a mass invalid or illicit? Good question. Uh, A better question would seem to be, how do I celebrate the liturgy well? Mm. And that, that seems to really be helping us with flourishing rather than what do I have to do to get the bare minimum to get it right? And it's an important question, but there are better questions to ask too. And not to insult the person that asked this. I do think it's a good question, but uh, it's not the only question. And Jesus often responded to questions with another question to get people thinking more deeply about things. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and and by my when, when I said earlier intention, I didn't mean uh, just because they intended to make this uh, that right. Made it. So I meant if they had the proper, if they had bread and they had wine, yeah, they had the proper liturgical books, and yeah. they and they actually read, "This is my body and this is my blood." That would seem to me to be okay. We're we're actually Enough. yeah yeah we're actually doing this. Yeah. We're not taking something different that is right. not bread and is not wine, and we're not saying, as you said earlier, "This is my leg" or "This is yeah. my eye." Mm-hmm that they said the proper thing. But if they changed one word later on in the thing that was not part of that right. formula, then yeah. you would probably be okay. You'd still probably be okay. It would still be valid. 
but would be more of an illicit practice. Right. Yeah. And, and habits are easy to get into and hard to break. So good liturgical habits and bad liturgical habits. Um, even in reading this new document that the Holy Father put out, he's got a section in there about how how priests can Maybe we'll do a whole other show on this because it's a really good um, – it would be good for the Eucharistic revival. Mm. But he gives like seven or eight examples of the kind of presiding skills that aren't good, ones that bring too much attention to self, the guy mm. who goes way too slow, the guy who goes way too fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff Yeah, there. exactly. The other thing too, I think, you know, we forget all the time that there are other rites that are in communion with us. Mm-hmm. True. That's a completely different word. Correct. You know, the person who wrote this in, I, I think that they even wrote a little addendum if my memory serves. I don't have it in front of me. Was that they, they said, you know, I'm worried that I just received the Eucharist that wasn't the Eucharist. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, okay, let's just calm you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Mm-hmm. You, you actually received the Eucharist that day. Don't worry about it. Right. And, and by that, I also mean if you were, you know, at a Byzantine right or something they would hear completely different words and it would still be the eucharist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah there's there's that as well yeah there there is a guiding body and this is this is what makes catholics unique is that we do have an authority that we trust and we uh, cooperate with when it comes to our rituals. We do have prayer books that we follow, and that does make us different than some of our Christian brothers and sisters who are not liturgical um, or uh, don't have as defined liturgical texts as we do. And mm. so many of our texts, obviously the words of institution go back to Christ himself, but a lot of the collects and the prefaces go way, way back in history to church fathers, you know. So... It's it's good and rich stuff, and even in the, the Synod on Synodality, a lot of the folks in the diocese were asking for more, a better understanding, a richer understanding of what it is we do when we go to Mass, and more faith formation. So it's a, yeah, important question. That, it is an important question. This whole, converse, this whole conversation um, has just really made me like, I'm just sitting here listening and reflecting on, gosh, am I... I always say this. I feel like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Because <laughs> this part of the mass is, uh, I often, you know, I'm paying attention so, so, so much to this part of the mass, right? Like, and and at, to the point that I'm tuning out the distractions or the fast talker or the slow talker, or, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I'm curious if, you know, how wide, how open wide are my eyes? And again, should I not be so consumed to myself that I'm taking in this moment of the liturgy and making sure like, okay, am I explaining to Jordan what's happening right now? I mean, I think she knows, but what you were saying you were getting the feedback on from the Synod is what is really happening, yeah. you know, and this person with their question, what is really happening if we're, you know, changing the word or not using the correct term or language. I don't know. Am I making sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think one part of it is that let the sacraments and let the liturgy do its thing. And then after, then you ask the questions. It would be like the RCIA process. When you have people coming into the church, especially through Lent and most especially through uh, the Triduum, specifically that Easter vigil, they go through that. You let them live it and experience it. You don't tell them this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to feel. You let them go through that. Mm -hmm. And then those moments, the weeks after the Easter vigil, it's a period called mystagogia where you're unpacking the mystery. So you tell me what was it like 
to go and and renounce the devil and all his uh, empty promises and then profess your faith and then get baptized and put on the white cloak and hold your candle in a church full of people on a on a Saturday night like what was that and then they tell you they're they're unpacking their own experience of celebrating the mystery so with your daughter Jordan I think you you model for her paying attention during the Eucharistic prayer and then after mass you could say so what was your favorite part once we knelt down or uh, what you know <laughs> oh. and you could you, I'm so scared of her answer actually but, but it's okay <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. part, that's yeah. part of how you, yeah. you grow and learn yeah. we we had a grandparents workshop someone someone mentioned that the other day like we we asked the grandparents after this workshop we brought them back to the shrine mm-hmm. and we had a day where we just said well what did you do you mm-hmm. know we we gave you this workshop what did you do with your family that's awesome and someone said that they that they would go to mass with their grand with their grandchildren and then afterwards they would say what was your favorite part of the mass and they said and it could have been anything they said right. that sometimes it was the music sometimes it was the consecration. Sometimes it was when I walked up the aisle with you to watch you receive communion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was the little kid in front of me's shirt right. that he had on that was right. really cool. Right. You know, it was, and they said they just kind of let it be. Yeah. And then they unpacked it from there. You know? yeah. One of the grandparents say that she kept a journal. Yeah. When she asked the question, whatever her child said or grandchild said, she kept a journal. From a, bef- And I think she gave it to her then on her first communion day. Oh. So for these seven years going to Mass, since well, I've been able to talk, I don't know, three or four years old, I've been asking you what's your favorite part of Mass, and now you have your favorite parts of Mass. So now that you made your first communion, you could write your favorite part of Mass, and it's a, a, a Mass journal. That's awesome. Yeah. That My really favorite part of awesome. Mass is when the ch- priest changed the words. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's, <not> good <laughs> it's my least favorite part. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of you're right. That's kind of cool. Number one, that they have that too. And I was I was thinking like that didn't come from us, right? In our workshop, this was something that the grandparents came up with on their own. Like we didn't awesome, we, we didn't yeah. prompt that of them. So mm-hmm. sometimes you know the best ideas just come very organically from the from the lives of the people. So yeah, it's the synodal church, right? Yeah, that's talking right. together, working together. Yeah, that's good. So don't worry, you actually received the Eucharist, uh, person who wrote in to us. Thank you very much for your question. I would also recommend, and we could put this in the show notes, mm. this is the Holy Father's Apostolic Letter, Desiderio Desideravi, which comes from Luke twenty two fifteen. 15. I've, I've eagerly desired to e- share this meal with you. And it's a Pope's reflection. It's a follow-up on Tradiciones Custodes, but mm. it's not so much about the Latin Mass as much as it is about what's what the liturgy itself is about it's really theological it's very philosophical and he quotes guardini in there and i i was edified by reading this it'd take you probably you probably do it in about an hour but it'd be a great study if you're interested in liturgy i think this would be a great study especially during this eucharistic revival yeah, exactly. Oh, I know what I was going to say. There was, there was one other thing. One, one of the things that we did with our, I think it was with RCIA candidates um, ages ago. It was we actually recorded the mass. This was before live streaming or anything. Mm-hmm. We actually had to get a video camera and set it up and do this whole thing. We recorded the mass, and then we brought people back after mass, and we kind of watched the you know mm-hmm. the recording and stopped it at points and explained a little bit more but we also told them if there's something you don't understand you need to say hey stop that mm-hmm. what the heck is that mm-hmm. right yeah. and then we would answer the question and people people still talk about it like people are like well that was really yeah. that was really edifying it's for like us. a teaching mass is yeah. that what they call it? yeah because yeah. i remember having that when i was installed as a eucharistic minister in high school mm. it was like an all 
uh, it was not like an hour. It was you know a what workshop. I mean? It was yeah, like a yeah. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. And then um, we talked a lot about, you know, how do we do that again for the kids yeah. nowadays? For like, everyone. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, you know, and making sure like you're taking the time to absorb it and making the commitment because that would be a great thing to do during this Eucharistic revival would be some workshops on the liturgy and helping people understand what's going on. I was even talking with Father Chris Trenter recently, who's one of our priests who Mm. teaches liturgy at the Sun. Who will teach me this semester. Oh, yeah? Yeah, on Saturdays, yes. Cool. Well, one of the things I was thinking is taking Eucharistic prayers and helping unpacking them, even the structure of how they flow, because there is a structure to each of them. And in the Roman Missal, there's 10 Eucharistic prayers. Yeah. And people are fascinated by that. And if you slow down and study these things, it's like, oh, my gosh, I've been hearing this, but I really didn't put that together. I try to do that sometimes when I preach with the creed or with the penitential rite because people are on autopilot and they're doing well. But I think a good teacher, a good preacher can help unpack those things that they already kind of know but haven't put all together. That That's so helpful. Yeah. No, that would be great. So well, we'll put that in our little – to-do list you know, as we go yeah. forward into the Eucharistic revival. We're building our team. So. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of uh, who's on our team, parishes are on our team most of the time, right? So Our Lady of the Angels is going to be one of our nine nights churches. Yes, indeed. So I'm fairly familiar with Our Lady of the Angels, most recently because I preached a parish mission there in the spring. Uh, Father Russ Lowe, pray for him because he's he's experienced some some uh, medical uh, mm. troubles right now, and Father Rob Ramser was just appointed as administrator of Our Lady of the Angels. So it's on Rocky River Drive, right across from the Poor Clare Monastery, right next door to uh, St. Joe's High School. It's a, a beautiful church. Father Russ actually restored the sanctuary. It was uh, a bit dilapidated. Lots of blues and a big old wooden baldacchino. The Franciscans used to run it. So there's like a side chapel, which I think they use as their daily mass chapel. But it feels monastic. um, But it's a a beautiful parish, and it looks different than – most of the parishes in the diocese. So come on out and visit that during nine nights. That's August 7th through the 15th. Every night, church opens at 8, prayer at 8.15. Last night, we'll have some ice cream, some Regina Chaley. Have you guys been at OLA? Yes. Yeah. I was there with the Culture Project um, prior to the pandemic. There was... Were they living there? They were living there. And then there was also like, um, I don't want to... Like a kickoff type Mm. of mass. Um, but I think we were, it, it was beautiful, but for some reason we were taken through like a side entrance or a back entrance or something like that. And I just remember there was like a very teeny tiny, um, like wash sink, like not, mm. I don't want to call it a kitchen sink or a bathroom sink or something, something like through the stairwell that we were using. And it's like, man, this was actually functioning hmm. whenever the church was you know, constructed or built or, new, mm. you know, and I yeah. just thought there's a lot of history and it's really cool. And that's one of the points of Nine Nights, right? To see yeah. how different this this is, yeah. you know. Yeah. So Nine Nights and Eight Prayer still, it's going to be August 7th to August 15th, correct? You got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's Nine Nights of Night Prayer where we will have night prayer in nine different churches. You can go to one church all nine nights. Or you can go to nine different churches and you know, try to collect them all, as yep. we like to say, you know, <laughs> go around each one. And, you know, obviously there, there there are some churches that obviously you haven't been in, right? But there are also churches that are just so beautiful 
that you've just never experienced that you're just so surprised by. Uh, that's what's, That's been the real highlight for me of Nine Nights all the time, seeing all these beautiful churches in the diocese. Yeah, and if you're if you're a, a consider yourself a faithful, good Catholic, please bring someone who's not and who hasn't been to church in a while, someone maybe who's drifted from the faith or someone who's not Catholic or not even a Christian. Just say, hey, let's go out. Come on to this. Let's go check out this church. And then night prayer takes all of 10 minutes. But it's a great way to evangelize. When I was at St. Michael's for nine nights of night prayer, there was a guy on a bicycle who was just coming by the church. And I just waved to him from the front door and said, mm-hmm. hey, nine nights of night prayer. And he slowed his bicycle down, turned around, parked his bike and came in and said, you know, I, I have ridden past this church for so long and I've never seen it open. Mm-hmm. And he said, so I've, you know, he said, obviously I don't come by on a Sunday. He said, but he said, like, Every night I go by here and it's never been open. He goes, and tonight was open. I just decided to come in, and boy, was he blown away because it was St. Yeah, Michael's, right, which yeah. is just a gorgeous church. And I said, well, you know, we're here every night for the next nine nights. He came back a couple more times and brought people That's with awesome. him, which was really cool. Yeah, It's very cool. And so our scriptures for this week is going to be Luke chapter 12, uh, a little snippet. Jesus said to his disciples, gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those who, whose servants whom the masters blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Always be ready. Always, Always be, be you ready. Can't, you can't put off uh, your faith. Like the Lord wants it right now. And um, I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah. Sound like Forrest Gump. <laughs> that might be it, right? Sometimes sometimes that's all we got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hey, we're just two days away from the Hillbilly Thomas concert, depending on when you're listening to this. It's going to be on August 4th. So that's at St. Wendland's Parish. Correct. The Hillbilly Thomas. Dominicans who play bluegrass music, if you're not familiar with them. Super cool guys. Their first summer tour ever. They've only chosen six cities to play and they're finishing the tour in cleveland so they should be tuned up ready to go tom evanchuk local artist is opening at seven there'll be food trucks there'll be beer there'll be ice cream from country parlor so come on out bring your friends especially those who haven't been to church or on church property in a long time or ever and we'll finish with night prayer with uh, the newly minted bishop loose it's gonna be off the hook as the kids say <laughs> i think they say it's gonna be lit now they do just three three f- emoji flames that's right mm-hmm. lit right brooke that's right like your dress <laughs> Every every episode, the wardrobe comes up. Well, you're wearing an orange dress. It is. Yeah, so it's yeah. Like bright this orange is not dress. like the color of fire. Oh right? yeah, it is. <laughs> Depends. Okay. Yeah. Some fire is blue. Some is orange. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, I'll Absolutely. take the compliment. A little green. All right. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so we give compliments here on question of faith each and every week. And uh, Brooke, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. We'll see you again soon, and we'll have all this and more next time on the question of faith. Rock and roll.